Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Bridging the Gap, Real Estate for Women. It takes a while to build out this limited partner database. And I didn't have time because we had deals under contract. So the only way that I knew to get money into the door as fast as possible would be to go and get a co-partner, what we call a co-GP. As a woman in real estate, I know firsthand that women are underrepresented and still tentatively venturing into real estate investing. While that is slowly changing, my goal is to propel it forward. We can do this. I'm Atara Tversky, an attorney and real estate sponsor and investor from New York City. I'm here today speaking to Ruben Greth. Ruben is a real estate investor and also the host of a popular podcast called The Capital Razor Show, where he interviews some of the best real estate syndicators around the country. Ruben began his real estate career in the world of social media, where he parlayed video content into successful capital raises, totaling $625 million in a short span of time. Ruben, I'm really excited to speak with you today because I just, I love to meet interesting people in the world of real estate. So how are you today? I'm great, Atar. Thank you for having me. I know you're a securities attorney. I love talking to attorneys on my show. So I plan on having a really good time today. Yes, we're going to have a great time. So I am a securities attorney and I represent institutional clients, individual and public. And I'm also a real estate investor. So we'll have so much to discuss because I really want to hear the ins and outs of how you got to define yourself and really reinvent yourself. Maybe you tell me because I want to hear the whole story. Like how did Ruben start and get to where you are today? So my dad was a real estate investor. So I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do one day. And then I just didn't know how. So I tried selling mortgages. I thought that would be a good stepping stone. It really didn't help me too much other than, you know, learn how to sell mortgages. But around this time when I was selling mortgages, I found this group that taught a lot of different single family strategies. And then he had one class on multifamily, large scale multifamily. And once I saw the power of it, how for me, it was a lot more powerful than single family. You could scale into larger properties. You could make a greater impact for more families. And there was a part of it that required money. You know, some people say that there's the real estate side and then there's the money side and they're two distinct different businesses. And I never really wanted to learn how to underwrite crazy, huge deals or, you know, anything like that, but I wanted to partner and participate in the equity and the passive income and the tax benefits. So I started learning about raising for small multifamilies. And essentially what I was doing to kind of spread the word about our business was I would follow my partner around town, shoot videos of him as he was taking down fourplexes. Seems like he was taking down a fourplex every couple of weeks. And this was right after the crash of 2008. So everything was like on a fire sale. You could buy stuff super cheap in Phoenix. And, you know, just by sharing the message of how we were finding these deals and how they were cash flowing astronomically in those days, you could literally buy stuff for less than $20,000 a unit for these brick built fourplexes, which is absolutely absurd. Now these same units are selling for over a hundred thousand dollars each. But my partner was not good at 
leveraging other people. So he was always micromanaging and kind of had his hands really in it. So we weren't able to scale. He and I ended up splitting up and I ran out of money because I was flipping all of my little multifamilies and ended up back in corporate America. But I can't, you know, most entrepreneurs, they can't be behind a desk or feel like they're being leveraged to help somebody else make money. So eventually I got back into real estate and all I knew was fourplexes. So I was like, I'll, I'll buy a fourplex and then I'll double my portfolio five times, end up with 32 fourplexes and I'll be done. And I, sh- and I basically shared this plan with somebody at a local real estate investor meeting. And they're like, well, why don't you just 32 fourplex, that's 128 units. Why don't you just go take them down right now? I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that. They're like, well, you should look into this thing called syndication, which is where you have a bunch of people working together so they can scale much quicker. And so I I joined a local mom and pop syndicator, helped them raise about a million dollars. And then I started my show, which is about capital raising and was really trying to figure out how do I take these syndicators that I've met on my show and these capital raisers that I've met on my show and make money putting them together? So I was asking a bunch of attorneys, how do I do this? And the overwhelming response was, you need to go and start your own fund. So that's ex- exactly what I did. I went off and partnered with a fund manager who's raised about $20 million. And now I partner with him, help him with marketing and automations and capital raising and we basically go out and we, there's two branches of our business. One where we're building single family residences in Louisiana, and then basically selling the portfolio of these subdivisions off to institutions. And the other thing that we do is we go and raise money for other syndicators. And there's some legalities you know, that you have to be very careful about. Um, and the way that we do this is typically we either become a co-GP with them and become part owners of their company, or more often than not, we start a specific purpose vehicle, a fund structure where we raise a bunch of money in there and then we write a limited partner check into another sponsor's deals. And then because we're limited partners, we don't have to have any ongoing duties. So those are kind of the two branches. That's kind of how I got here. It happened very quickly. Um, was you know doing small multis back during the crash, left real estate, came back raised some money for syndications, and then became a fund manager all within a couple of years. Wow. That is very fast because, you know, real estate kind of takes time to build. So it's kind of amazing that you did all of this, which I'm going to touch on in parts because I want to really get to the nitty gritty. Um, But all of this, you know, it sounds like what in the span of several years, just a few years. Yeah. When that meeting where somebody introduced me to syndication, I was in sometime in 2018. Wow. And then I think it was 2019 where I found, I was looking at gurus um, that I was going to pay somebody like 30 grand to teach me syndication. And then I interviewed a local syndicator and they're like, wait a second, you know how to raise capital? We need somebody like that. Just come join us. Don't pay a guru, work with us. And then you can become an, an you know, kind of become an apprentice in this space and then help us because we need money. So I went in there and their capital raising program was all kind of messed up. They were trying to you know, they wanted me to sell and raise capital from people that hadn't ever heard of us. And I'm like, well, this takes time to build this database and introduce people and educate and nurture them into what we're doing. And there was a lot of learning lessons there, but yeah, it happens really quickly. And I see it over and over from even, even young kids get into the business and 
they scale very quickly. Well, it's, so it's interesting. I think it happens quickly for the right people, right? This is not a business for everyone. There are people that, you know, would run so fast at the idea of having to approach people, raise money, underwrite deals, like all the various things that go into owning multifamily properties or any kind of commercial property, right? So there's a a whole group of people who cannot do this. And then there's a group of people that are just naturally good at it. And they, I think, do move quickly. And then there's another subset of people who, you know, really can be properly honed, their skills can be honed, and they can really pick it up, even if it hadn't been their natural inclination. But it sounds like for you, it kind of just came naturally. Do do you feel that way? I think I stumbled into the capital raising part originally. And once I realized that without asking people for money, I could just share our, our business model and people would become interested. And then we could court them over periods of time take them to lunch, take them to our property, show them what we're doing. And then that would be a tool to raise capital. I was like, well, that doesn't sound like it's a very salesy type of thing. All we're doing is sharing. So my, my perception of what capital raising was changed and developed. And I ended up realizing that it wasn't a very, that's, I think that's what people think about. It's like, oh, I have to go sell people and convince them to give me their money. And and, all, and it's not like that at all. It's all you're doing is you're educating and nurturing them on something that you find very fascinating. In my case, multifamily, and there's all kinds of other asset classes that are great too. But you know, you share with them the tax benefits, what you're doing, what your returns have been in the past, and kind of what your vision is. And over periods of time, they get to know, like, and trust you. And they end up becoming your partners in some capacity, whether as a limited partner, as a joint venture partner, or as a fund managing partner. And uh, it can it can happen that way. I think for most people, the reason that it can take a long time is because they're trying to run a real estate business by themselves. So that's why they start in single family and they stay there, right? Because this is a team sport. You have to you have to pick a lane and stay in it. You know, like I mean, even in capital raising, there's little parts that you have to sub niche down into like marketing or branding or automations. And if you're trying to do that and underwrite and find deals and, you know, everything else, that's, it's, it's just, it's way too much for one single person to accomplish in most cases, unless you are just insanely crazy. So <laughs> it, it can be done quickly, but the secret is to align yourselves with people that are already doing it. And then realize that they're just mortal human beings. They're not, they don't have superpowers. And, and we're smart, you know, if we can go to college and pass a degree, you know, and get past a chemistry class, we're probably smart enough to go out and participate in this business at some level, whether that's on the acquisition side or underwriting or property management or something that you can provide that people, you know, would love to have you participate in the team to help them grow. Cause we all at the end of the day want to grow and scale our businesses and help as many people as we can along the way. Yeah. I think that's very well said. And I think that another key point that I always want to impress is that I think when you're raising capital, when you're trying to introduce anyone to your business and what you do, the idea is really how to add value for them, right? That it can't just be, Oh, look how great I am. Look what I've done. Look at all these properties that I've amassed. Look how great they're doing. It's, 
here's how I can add value for something that might be important to you. And I think that once you understand that, um, then it isn't salesy at all, right? Um, but that has to come from the heart. So I don't think people should do it unless they feel like they connect with people in that way where they truly want to help them. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say for me, like when I started my show, it's about capital raising, right? Which I think some people may find boring, but if you have a good personality, like you're not even the person that's teaching. You're on my show anyways. I interview the best people that have figured out ways to raise capital and I get them to provide the value. And all I'm doing is just being a conduit for them to share information. And then people think and perceive you as an authority figure in the space. And then, you know, in my case, I've been getting a lot of recognition and it's helping me significantly. And all I'm really doing is letting other people add value through my platform. And it's a fantastic route to do. I love that. So what made you come up with the idea of doing the show? Had you ever done anything like that before? So just my YouTube channel back during the crash where we were sharing stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had read a book by Joe Fairless called The Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. And I went specifically right to the capital raising chapters. And it said, you need to start an interview-based thought leadership platform. And what I heard from that was you need to go and start your own podcast, right? Because you can do other things, right? Like be an author of a book or do a bunch of meetups. For me, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to start a thought leadership platform, I might as well do it on something that I'm fascinated by, which for me was raising money. And I also understood that if I could figure out and master the capital raising, my services would always, always be in demand forever. So I was like, I'm just going to study this as hard as I can for as long as I can. And hopefully it'll be fun. And over a period of time, I got good at it. Right. So like part of it is just managing your state and having energy and drinking some coffee or rock star before the show and trying to laugh occasionally. And then withdrawing information from people because like I've been to many conferences and seminars and seen people kind of get on stage and talk. And then I would leave these conferences very unfulfilled. Like, I don't really feel like I can raise capital after seeing what you did. So like, I'm always probing and picking and getting people to really expound and explain no further. Like, how do you learn about the securities part of it? Or how do you become a good marketer or brander? Or what do I need to know? Like, what technology do I have to have in place? How do I even begin to talk to a lawyer? How do I get people to take me seriously if I'm new in the business? And just you know, try and get all of my personal questions answered, which are the same ones that my listener has, right? So, so that's, that's the fun part of it is not only do I get to hang out with really cool syndicators, but I get to learn from them and then have a good time and build relationships with them. Absolutely. So to that end, I want to pick your brain a bit. So let's go back to, you said originally when you started, you joined a mom and pop and you helped them raise a million dollars, right? So that, that was what you would call your starting point in, in the world of syndication. So walk me through that. How did you do this exactly? So typically what I had been learning on my show was you, it takes a while to build out this limited partner database. And I didn't have time because we had deals under contract. So the only way that I knew to get money into the door as fast as possible would be to go and get a co-partner, what we call a co-GP, somebody that would come in and help raise capital. And then they would become part owners of our business. And then we'd give them the sliding matrix and find out what other duties they can do because you can't 
pay somebody specific to just capital raising, they have to have some kind of ongoing duty within the business. They can't just bring money and then disappear because that's essentially like you're selling a security as a broker. And if you're not licensed to do so, you can get in a lot of trouble. So the way that we would do them is we'd make them part owners of our company, officers of our company, and then find out what duties they would be good at, whether that's investor communications or underwriting or, you know, supply chain, you know, getting deals on product or not products, but materials that we needed to rebuild cabinets and everything else that we're doing to add value in the multifamily space. They would have to provide these duties and then they would get paid based off of or get an ownership share of our company based off of the overall scope of everything that they were doing. So I brought a couple of capital raisers or co-GPs into our business. And then they brought the money because they had already educated and nurtured their audience. And we had not really done that. We hadn't educated and nurtured people and kind of talked to them about what our business model was. And that is one of the major requirements. So that was the way that I had to help and participate in these deals from the beginning because we didn't have a long list of investors and me coming in not being experienced in the space i had not educated and nurtured anybody i was still brand new so the only way that i could do it was to bring other partners that would bring equity and other specific ongoing duties to our business wow so i'm sure that this mom and pop were, were like pretty thrilled with you right after you you raised that million dollars right we still, I think it would. It wasn't a home run because we didn't completely raise everything that we wanted. And it was kind of like pulling teeth saying, hey, you know, like we have to rebrand our website. We have to do this. We have to send out automations. We have to communicate. You don't just snap your fingers and raise the money and then your business and your job is done. Like there's all these things that we have to do to repair our capital raising business. And they were like, ah, oh, we, you know, like, it's all hands on deck. Let's raise capital for this. And then afterwards we can work on rebranding the website. And I'm like, well, if people that want to invest in our business, go to our website and see that it's cheesy and crappy and just has buildings and there's no emotions. There's not talking about financial freedom or something that gets them what they want. Cause nobody's ever going to invest into an apartment because they love buildings. They're going to invest into something because it emotionally satisfies some need that they have, like whether that's getting out of their W-2 or, you know, getting out of their tax problems or spending time on a beach with their family or having their kids have enough money so that they can pay for college without stress. Like they have some kind of requirement or need that is being satisfied by your solution, which in our case was multifamily syndication. And they were, they were thrilled that some money came in, but it wasn't, it was enough to get us across the finish line, but then we still had to go and raise money for the improvements of the property. So it was a constant fight and a battle um, trying to make this all happen because you typically, when you put something under contract, you have to do this in six weeks. So it was stressful. And I, I don't think that they celebrated the wins enough because there was always more to do. And it was a little bit dysfunctional in some, some regards. Ah, so it sounds like you're saying that you have to set up the systems in place and that when those are yes. running correctly, right, then things will flow from there. 
the systems are huge. Like most limited partners are not going to invest with somebody if they think that you can't provide them with a good communication and investor experience. And what people like to do, especially if they're very busy professionals, they like to be in their pajamas and log into some website, you know, whether it's probably an investment portal. So we use one called Syndication Pro. There's a bunch of others. But if people can be in their pajamas at midnight and go in and see what's going on with the property, that helps ease some of their tension because they have their nest egg sitting with you, you know, or a portion of it. So it's very stressful for the limited partner. And you have to take that into, into you know, you have to be able to give the people the investor experience that they want so that they feel safe and like that you're being a good steward of their money. And if you're never communicating with them, they start to freak out and people will not invest if they don't have access to go in and see these deals at all times. So a portal is really huge. Ongoing communication is really huge. Making people feel like they are part of the deal, not just like giving you a check, but like that they're actually making an impact in the world and they get to see the residents' lives change or, you know, criminals being moved out and the, the resident experience being improved, better appliances, better living conditions, more lighting. Like they feel like when they invest with you, like they're having an impact in the world. And right. I think that's an important part too. Well, cause I think you touched on such an important idea, which is that, you know, money obviously is super important. We all need it to live on, but finding meaning is really important too for most people. And when you can somehow merge the two and make people money in a meaningful way and make yourself money in a meaningful way, like then you've really hit a home run. Yeah. I think that's the, that's not just for the limited partners, but for the, you know, if we're out seeking capital raisers to come become part of our funds, like they're going to raise with us because of the impact that we're having with the sponsors and then access to the very best sponsors across the country. They want to make sure that when they're selling their limited partner database on a specific deal or sharing information about it, that not only are they great at what they do, but they are also doing good in the world, right? So whether, whether that's like a portion of your profits go to a charity or you're really honing in on creating an experience where, you know, there's like taco trucks and events and the kids are playing on the playground and they have nice equipment and all that stuff. Like we want people that have a great deal of care and kind of operate that way where they're really trying to not kick a bunch of people out just so they can bump rents, but really keep them in there and improve their surroundings and give them a place that they can call home for the rest of you know their lives or for however long they can stay. Yes, I think that's very well said. So do you find that what you're doing now is meaningful to you? Well, yeah, because I think, and I look at it more from the helping people learn about capital racing. It's such an obscure space. that's really hard to navigate. And I feel like I'm making my greatest impact and having the most fun on my show because I'm finding out what people do to create success in the capital raising space and how they do it. And then share it with a bunch of people that are typically like scaling and learning themselves. And it's just a fun way to add value. And when you get those messages on LinkedIn, Hey, I've listened to a bunch of your shows. Thank you so much for doing that. It's like, right. it makes you feel really good. Yes. So tell us, share some of your secrets. Uh, I think you said you're big with social media, right? Is that one of your, your tools? So the biggest tools I think for me are LinkedIn and Calendly. 
right? Because like I go on LinkedIn and I find all these multifamily investors and then send them a request. And then typically they say, oh, you know, I'm in the business myself. Let's jump on a call or they may say something or not. But eventually you communicate and then a calendar link is exchanged and then you're networking and then boom, all of a sudden you're finding people that are interested in doing some kind of business with you. And that's a really fun conversation too. It's not stressful because I'm not selling any investment. I'm just making friends. And then they, you know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm syndicating down in Florida. Or what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing bill to rent. It's very lucrative. And oh, really? I've heard that that space is exploding. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder to find a deal, a value add deal in the syndication space. A lot of people are moving into other multifamily assets kind of structures. And bill to rent is one of the huge ones. And let me show you how we pick the best operators and how we make the most money for our limited partners and how you can potentially double your money in XYZ period of time. And they get really interested and excited. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you have enough of those conversations, boom, you get some partners out of it. But the other thing that's been really great for me is the podcast, because they say when you want to create a podcast to like niche it down into one specific thing. And for whatever reason, when I started my show, there was no place that consistently had capital raising information. So I think it took off. Part of it was because my personality is not super dry or anything like that. And the other part is because there was a major lack of information on how to get started in the capital raising. Because a lot of these guru programs, they teach you how to underwrite. And then, you know, at the very end of their course, they're like, Oh, and then, you know, another part of it is the capital raising and you can just talk to your friends and family and it'll be great. You'll be able to raise capital. And that's not the reality. It's like, you have to understand the branding, the marketing, the like limiting beliefs that you have to break through yourself personally to become like that you feel like you can even raise capital to begin with or purchase a $5 million property, especially if there's nobody in your family that's ever purchased a $5 million property. So we talk about all that stuff, the marketing, the branding, the mindset, how to talk to attorneys, like every single little aspect, how to keep your investors warm, how to talk to high net worth individuals, anything and everything, you know, how to implement technology, the automations. We talk about all that stuff and, you know, even get more granular than, than that. So, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's a lot of info. What's your favorite um, automation tool? So I'm not too familiar with all the ones that are out there, but we use Active Campaign. And the nice thing is I have a mentor at the Real Estate Accelerator. Uh, my mentor is, her name is Annie Dickerson. And some of her program consists of giving you template automations that you can just plug into your CRM. And then she teaches that. And then you don't have to write all of this content by yourself because for a lot of people, that's like the hardest part. Where, how do I create a blog and then send that out? on a weekly, bi-weekly or monthly basis. And, you know, when she can knock out a big portion of that and, and give that to her students, that helps quite a bit. But, you know, like she teaches all, all the other parts, like creating an emotional brand and, and all of that stuff. But we use, yeah, active campaign and a couple other tools. So it sounds like you're constantly, even now, like still learning, taking classes, yeah. right? I guess that's a never ending process, right? Because you get good at one thing. And then the reality is you can always do better. You can always forge forward in a bigger way. And to that end, education is, re is really the best way to do that. Yeah. So I'll be learning for the rest of my life. And it, uh -huh. you know, 
I want to stay laser focused on multifamily syndication, but I'm starting to realize that there's, you know, it's like there's these new worlds that open up to you. Like I recently found out that you can tokenize your real estate and then sell it through these non-fungible tokens and then make revenue on every additional purchase that goes into forever. You can write that into your smart contract. And so now I'm starting to learn, well, how does crypto affect capital raising? And they're saying that one day real estate will be traded with cryptocurrencies. And you're like, so now I'm like, instead of just learning one specific part of it, I'm like, I'm going to need to know this if they, if it's true that in the future, this is going to be as big as the internet was in the nineties, that I, maybe I need to learn a little bit about cryptocurrency and how you can tokenize property and whether that or not that makes sense. And what's this whole mining thing. So I'm really new to that space. And I know that that's going to be a huge world of information that I'm going to try and have to learn to dissect, right? Yeah, and dive into. <laughs> well, um, I wanted to ask you on that note, I understand like you're, you were in college, both a chemistry and Spanish major, right? So two like totally different parts of your brain. How did that happen? <laughs> I wasn't the greatest high school student and I wanted to kind of make my father proud and possibly go into medicine. So when I, when I kind of got my stuff together in college, I was at a deficit and it was going to take me forever to get my chemistry degree because I was had a shortcoming in math and some other things. I didn't know calculus or any of the things that I should have learned in high school. And so it took me like 10 years to graduate with this degree. And I had like already gone through all of my electives and there was nothing for else, you know, for me to take. And I'm like, well, why not just add another degree and then I added Spanish and that way I could study, you know, like one of the requirements at my university at Arizona State was if you want to study a degree in a language, you have to, as a prerequisite or a part of your requirements, you have to study other languages. And I took Portuguese and then I was like, this is fun. So I, I ended up taking like five, I think it was, what was it? It was Portuguese, German, Italian, and French. I took a year of each of those and then got 400 level in Portuguese classes, business classes and stuff. And got, and you know, like people are like, well, you already speak Spanish. This should be easy. I'm like, well, you already speak English. Go get a English degree and see if you, how easy you think that is. So but how we, you do an English lit. <laughs> yeah. So, and it really was a literature degree. We got to study like a lot of the art stuff. And I, I read like the history of the conquest of Mexico from the perspectives of the Indians that got slaughtered. And it was really fascinating. Well, it is, it is fascinating. And it's also interesting because it speaks so much to who you are, right? You're just, it sounds like somebody who's always trying to learn and synthesize new material. Mm. And that was true when you were in college, even though it took you 10 years. And that's true of you now and, and your desire to really master new things as you're continuing to do what you're doing. So um, I love what you do. I love that you started this show, you know, there really isn't another one like there out there. So Capital Razor Show, it's the, it's one of a kind. <laughs> I know one specific attorney that I think was becoming a syndicator because he saw all the power was, you know, all the money is on building generational wealth. And so he had this great database of people that he had met through his, his attorney business, his syndication practice, um, attorney practice. And then he did this webinar that was very like, 
methodical and spoken lawyer language with all these, you know, complexities. And like he hired this one particular marketer to come in and do an emotional based webinar instead of a logic based webinar. And then like raised an additional $4 million from the exact same people because he just spoke to them a little bit differently. So, so it is definitely unique to every person. They may have great energy or speak in a certain way but I think you're doing a great show. Like you've been able to withdraw some great information from me. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I always um, like to say, you know, I really enjoy people and I enjoy meeting people. And I think that that comes, that that shows through in what I do, Um, whether I'm acting, you know, as an attorney or, or hosting a show or in real estate or whatever it is, like my desire to connect with people on a real level is really what motivates me. And I think that that is um, always, you know, what I'm cognizant of when I'm speaking with people is just to be real, because I think that's what people want. Mm-hmm. They want the real you. They don't want to see like a whole facade. And so I, I like to, you know, be able to give them, you know, who I am. And I think that helps people to connect. I love it. Yeah. And I look forward to talking to you offline afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have been so fun. great. So just tell us quickly, Ruben, where can everybody find you? I know they'll want to. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn or you can look me up, Ruben, R-U-B-E-N, Greth, on any of the major social media platforms. Check out my podcast at CapitalRazorShow.com or your favorite listening platform. And then you can check out if you're interested in finding out about our business, you can find us at LegacyAcquisitions.com. Amazing. Well, again, thank you so, so much. It's been really, really great having you on and um, have a great rest of your day and we'll we'll be in touch. I'm sure we have lots more to talk about. Right, right. (laughs) All right. Bye for now.